So, ladies, y'all want to sing a song or yeah. <laughs> sing a song? I see ninety nine bottles of beer in the wall. No. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay, welcome to another wonderful episode of the Sex and Horror Podcast with authors Dicey Grinner. That's me. And, and Chantel Renee. <laughs> Renee, yay. I'm doing the clap, the clap uh, <laughs> hand gestures for uh, sign language. <laughs> and tonight we have a special guest, Aaron Lewis, who is a former stripper and an author of nonfiction and horror. Yes. I can't wait to dive in. This yeah. sounds so exciting. I know Chantel has been waiting for it. She keeps telling me, I'm so excited to talk to Aaron. I'm so excited to talk to Aaron. So, you know, we've stalked you a little. Oh, perfect. Perfect. <laughs> I prefer that actually. That way people aren't like totally shocked or, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Nothing's going to start. That way you at least have a, some idea of what, you know, what you're in for. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I, I felt like when I saw your books and then I saw your profile, I was like, she's going to fit right in with our podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, why former stripper? Because don't you make a whole lot more money as a stripper than as, you know, almost anything else? Pretty much. Um, well, I started when I was 18. Um, I developed arthritis by the time I was 30. <laughs> um, I actually... I, uh, I technically retired in 2019. Um, it was actually probably my, I don't know, third or fourth or fifth retirement. <laughs> when you, you say, I'm done, I'm done, it's over. And then it's not over because like you said, it's, uh, you know, it's hard to let go of the, uh, the income there. Um, but in 2019, I, I retired for good and actually ended up getting a part-time job um, as an admin. I had already published three books at that point. And um, after that, I came back to my old club uh, to feature uh, twice in 2022 and twice last year. Um, but I believe that now I am actually officially 100% retired. Really? So that was it. So do you want to tell us the name of the club or, or the location, the city or anything? Or is that? Oh, yeah, it was. No, I don't. I, I don't care. Uh, I'm sure they'd love it. Uh, Soul Club uh, Centerfold in Sacramento. Oh, Centerfold. And where? Sacramento. Sacramento. Okay. That's amazing. So like Northern Central California. Yeah. That was like kind of my home club. I danced at a bunch of other clubs, but that was kind of like really kind of my, my, my home base. Yeah. Centerfold has a, a pretty well-known brand anyway, right? Well, uh, I know that the one that I worked at is uh, individually owned. Um, there are, um, I, I don't know if it's just that there aren't like a lot of like strip club names to go around. Because <laughs> I know that I worked at a crazy horse in New Orleans and there's a crazy horse in uh, uh, Vegas and they're definitely not owned by the same people. Um, so there's probably, and then there's a lot of, um, there are a lot of like chains that do kind of recycle their names. So you'll have like showgirls, you'll have centerfolds, you'll have a lot of those just the same you know they're just not very imaginative it's kind of a product that sort of solves itself so I'm, I'm thinking they just don't really have to be too creative yeah like yeah. How, how many showgirls are there yeah oh um do you mean clubs or like girls that work at, at well, a time I was thinking clubs like like when you were saying that the names seem to kind of repeat <laughs> them 
Like I, I think there's a showgirls in like every city, right? <laughs> Probably. Um, I a lot of the, I I wouldn't even begin to know how many there are. Um, probably a lot. Uh, showgirls that I know of are mostly owned by kind of a, a big corporate um, strip club like conglomeration um, called Deja Vu, which mm, I've mm-hmm. written about at length. Um, they're just sort of like the McDonald's of strip clubs. Um, so and, there's probably I, I would imagine a lot, but like I said, the, the names get recycled a lot. So yeah, and I know Chantel saw the same thing that I saw. So this is going to segue into what I know Chantel can't wait to hear about. But what's up with the stripper strip club ghost stories? Like I couldn't wait to hear more about that. Oh, no. the article. Right. Like, it, was it something that you experienced or? Or just something you create? Okay. No. So I also have written um, a lot of like my nonfiction. And I, I started writing nonfiction because I started with my memoirs. And basically I started writing kind of out of spite, honestly. Mm-hmm. I was really annoyed with like the kind of the stories and the, the stuff that I heard like in the media. And I was like, hey, you know, there's there's like another truth out there. Um, and so my third book, Expose Yourself, is nonfiction. Um, it has a lot of like stripper anecdotes. Um, but I talk a lot about critical thinking there and, um, I'm also an active skeptic. So I wrote for, um, I was a contributor to an online media company called Only Sky. And I believe the article that you're referring to, um, actually got interviewed for a a ghost hunting show (laughs) because of that article thing. They did not want me. Um, so I'm actually a skeptic and I talk a lot about, uh, critical thinking. So, um, that article really kind of explains how easy it is to see ghosts um, in a strip club because of basically the way that it's set up, right? There's a lot of like dazzling lights. Sometimes there's booze. It's late at night, which is a great time to see a ghost. And that has a lot to do with like our brain chemistry and how we think and all that kind of stuff. So, so no, it's not that I have experienced a ghost. Um, it's that I was basically explaining how easy it is to see ghosts in that particular uh, kind of environment. Interesting. I never even heard of anybody saying they've seen ghosts in strip clubs. So that's like even a first for me. Oh, really? Oh, man. I like for real. That's how I came up with the title for the article was actually I've never been to a strip club where they haven't talked about a ghost in the dressing room, hanging out um, up in Reno. Nevada, um, I write, this is one of the stories I write about in the, um, in my book, Expose Yourself. And this is where I did actually see a ghost, right? Because I was like exhausted and it's an old um, slaughterhouse, this club in Reno that I worked at. So it had like an upstairs and it was creepy as hell. Um, But the story that went along with that club was that there was somebody who had worked at the slaughterhouse um, and had hung himself, right? And so they give you a very detailed story about this dude hanging from the rafters, you know, that you'll go up and see sometimes, you know, like really like, cause it's, it's always late at night, right? In the dark. And I was, especially when I would go up to Reno, cause I, I live in Sacramento, you know, when I was up there, I was, I was up there to work. I was focused. I was driven. Um, I didn't drink a lot when I danced, but you know, I was staying at a hotel that night, so it wasn't like I was driving anywhere and I was like, you know, I'd had a couple of drinks absolutely just like whooped like exhausted so when I walked up the stairs which is really awesome because it was a narrow stairway right so it's dark 
and it's dim and there's like you know two little tiny like emergency lights or something like coming up there so it's already like super creepy the dressing room is empty so as I'm walking up there I'm not hearing anything I'm just like half dead and out of the corner of my eye I see exactly what was described to me which was the guy hanging from the rafters um and so like I did in the article I go on to explain the psychological factors that had me see that as it as it turns out and I started to talk to other people who had actually seen the ghost the stories don't really line up and that's because you're getting the information secondhand so when you think you see something like that you're basically recreating the story that's been told right your, your brain's very right uh, like a subliminal kind of thing yeah your brain's very very suggestible so it's very easy to have that kind of create that kind of thing so so yeah, but that's that's actually my favorite one, other than the one that is in that article, which was the Palomino Club in um, Vegas, which was an old mob hangout. First it was a pharmacy, and then it was a mob hangout. So lots of people died in there, I'm sure. Got carted out through the hallways and stuff. There were lots of like nooks and crannies and like secret passages and stuff. So yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, definitely you know, I just you know, for me personally, I could not imagine if I was a ghost in any strip club that I would be worried about scaring people. I mean, that's the perfect peeping Tom scenario. <laughs> I mean, rules. although I got to say, you're probably not going to want to hang out in the dressing room because everybody thinks, oh, the dressing room is so sexy. I was like, let me tell you. <laughs> oh, it's unsexy really fast. <laughs> well, you know what? What you just said kind of also puts me in the mind of when we're talking about subliminal messaging, that that is a good example of how you can train your mind to see abundance and so you know when people talk about manifesting if you are constantly seeing that and hearing about luxury and talking about you know like uh, the things you want in your life then you can subliminally get that into your 3d reality you know i think that's kind of it it sounds like the 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 same concept do you think um, I would say psychologically speaking, it probably yeah. is, or like neurologically speaking. Yeah. So like, if, um, I think it would best be described as like the, um, what we would call an availability heuristic. So your, your brain likes to take shortcuts, right? So, and it uses frame of references. So it uses information that you have taken in um, previously. So like, say you buy a blue car, right? Well, you have blue car now in your head. So when you go to look, you're driving around and all of a sudden you're going to start noticing all the other blue cars. Yeah. Now, does that mean there are more blue cars on the road? Mm -hmm. Or does it mean you are just now noticing that there are more blue cars on the road because right. you happen to have a little piece of information that came um, to you? Right. Yeah, I, would, I would definitely agree. I mean, I would think at least... At least 80% of what people think are hauntings are a lot of their own fear building up and that sort of thing. Being an, an author of horror, I can I can absolutely see how that's possible. And there are a good 20% of things that happen that can't be explained, though. Yeah, and, and of course, you know, the annoying skeptic in the room will tell you that just because it can't be explained doesn't mean, or it isn't explained doesn't mean it can't be explained. And it also doesn't necessarily mean that it's um, supernatural. Right. It just means that it happens yeah. in its place. I don't, I don't see things like that as supernatural at all. I see them as people without bodies. And we have bodies right now. We may not have a body. Well, 
later. <laughs> That's just me, though. The fun, thing, the fun thing about even just the word supernatural um, and really science in general is that once something is proven to exist and once something is here, it's no longer supernatural, right? It's just mm -hmm. natural. So at some point, once we just as we discover more things about our world, we certainly don't know everything. As we learn more things, you know, there's you know there's things that people thought a long time ago that weren't real that then become proven, and we actually have empirical evidence that proves that they are real, and then now they are no longer in that realm of the unknown. So maybe well, I we think I think all three of us ladies here can agree that an over nine inch penis is supernatural. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe like, oh, oh man, there's all sorts of things I could go there. Um, supernatural, I don't know, freaking nature. Uh, well, you know, it's super, but it's not. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, uh, follow me here, ladies, for this this next concept based on what we're talking about. How about, and here, here's just, I'm just throwing out another ideology, right? Um, when we're talking about strip clubs, that's energetically high. Like the the I can't think of a more high, uh, a more magnetic, uh, more high intense energy than sexual energy and lust. And um, I mean, yeah, there's fear. Can you can get your adrenaline and endorphins going and off of a run. You know, but I mean, like the sexual energy heightens everything. It, that energy is explosive. And and in the environment of a strip club, when there's multiple people, um, you know, some some would say kind of ritualistic dancing, maybe, you know, like uh, with the music, the beat of the music, along with the sexual energy. Uh, a lot of people would, would say, you know, a church would be high energy because everybody is kind of, having their same um uh, it's a it's a frequency thing uh, huh like a frequency they're right. all matching a frequency right. and so and then they're having their rituals at a church yeah so let's say what if also if in this environment with this high sexual energy if ghosts can actually be seen there more because they can materialize a little bit more or at least um so yeah, I, I can see the psychological um, and, the, and the supernatural, but I mean like on an energetic level, what if you could see them and or experience them or feel them more because of the environment? What do y'all think about that? I think it would be to um, a stripper, it would be the creepy guy who was just staring the whole night <laughs> at you in the back, <laughs> not tipping anyone, just staring. <laughs> so, Sociologically, um, when we get together, and and I'm sure there's a lot of people who would be horribly offended because I'm going to make this comparison, <laughs> but you know we are social creatures, right? And so when we get together in large groups, when people get together in large groups, it is very conducive to that kind of feeling. I don't want to say euphoria, but a feeling of connection, right? Mm -hmm. So we're we're social animals. Even like I, this sounds weird because I was a performer, but you know I do tend to be kind of an introvert. Um, you know, I, I feel drained very easily when I'm around, um, you know, like too many people for too long. Like I have, I have a limit and then I gotta, then I gotta run and like go away more like a cat, you know, <laughs> pet me, you know, baby talk me and then, you know, get the fuck out of my face. Kind of mm -hmm. so. 
But um, as the same is true in church when people are together and they're, you know, they're, they're feeling their vibe, they're, they're feeling each other, they're feeling that connection, that human thing. There's up and, and as maybe not the same type of group connection, because there's a lot more like one-on-one kind of connection that happens in the strip public in the VIP room, whether it's just purely sexual, sometimes it goes a little deeper than that. Guys like to talk. <laughs> We've been talking uh, about many sex so, workers, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of a, it's a, it's an odd part of the job. And actually it's a very humanistic part of the job. So, so what I would say is, and um, like I said, and maybe I'm just beating around the bush a little bit. I, I am the pain in the ass skeptic. So I do not believe in ghosts. Um, I have a lot of, I actually was a ghost hunter for 15 years um, before I came to that conclusion. Um, I'm also affiliated with, um, a group called CFI, which is Center for Inquiry, and they are actually an international large uh, skeptic group. So I've gone down, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I do not believe there are ghosts. I do, however, believe in um, a very strong humanistic connection that human beings have, right? If we were all dicks to each other, if we were constantly, you know, if, if we didn't have that sort of feeling or energy that brought us together, you know, we'd be stabbing each other in the dark. You know what I'm saying? Nobody'd be married. We'd, we'd be dead as a species. That's something that keeps us going. So those feelings in an emotional environment like that, when we're surrounded by people and it's really heightened with whatever kind of energy, sexual energy, religious energy, however you're feeling, that can really bring on a lot of really strong feelings. Um, so do I think that you would see more ghosts in the strip club? No. Um, I think that ghost stories happen everywhere. Um, I think it would be really, really hard to run into any building and talk to anybody with any kind of history and find a spot that you wouldn't be able to connect or find some sort of ghost story to. In fact, actually, the room I'm sitting in right now, the house I bought, um, the owner that, that bought this house died in it, um, right? Or he died when he owned it, first owner, okay? So this room in particular had been my guest room until COVID, tur- COVID turned it into my office. Mm-hmm. And it's always had this weird little draft in this one corner, right? This like cold spot. And as a ghost hunter, I was like, ooh, cold spot. You know, I know what that means. Mm-hmm. And uh, what it is, is actually the floor um, in the closet. Um, it's hardwood floor. It was original. It has a knot hole. <laughs> and so there's cold air that comes up through the subfloor. So um, before I plug that hole, it's always a cold spot. Um, now I found out later after knowing that the owner of the house died um, while he lived here. Well, he didn't die here, right? He died in the hospital. He's an old man. He died when he was an old man. There's, you know, it just happened. So it's that easy to create a connection or a human being to any kind of place or time. Um, And ghost stories are something that really transcends cultures. You know, they're all over the world. You're going to find, it's just how it works. It's how our brain works. It's how we, Part of how we keep our heritage alive, our culture alive, and how we kind of talk to each other and send messages and send comfort. When somebody dies, it's nice to know that maybe they're not really gone. Hmm. So, like I said, yeah. I, where did you ghost hunt? I'm curious. Like, what areas did you ghost hunt? Um, mo- well, New Orleans. Actually, we went to New Orleans on purpose. I'm probably saying that wrong because I'm from California. Um, but in California, we get to you know, pronounce things wrong because we got a really big state. Um, so 
definitely we did all that right in in um up and down bourbon street stayed in a couple of hotels cemeteries were our jam we really liked to go um um really enjoyed actually some of the art of the cemeteries i can say in new orleans those were some of the coolest places i had seen like just really cool um but i grew up in the foothills of northern california where uh the gold rush happened so lots of miners and hookers and you know um workers a lot of immigrants a lot a lot of chinese immigrants actually um helped build the railroads had a lot to do with the gold rush tons and tons of ghost stories um so that was kind of our main jam uh, would be northern california uh northern nevada actually even vegas um when i lived in vegas for a little bit looked for elvis's ghost didn't find him uh, apparently he left the building <laughs> um, well they say he's still alive somewhere so <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, maybe could be wrong, right? So, so yeah, so lots of the uh, lots of places with lots of histories. Your typical ghost hunting places. So, uh-huh. it was interesting. You know, you mentioned uh, being an introvert, and your um, you you need to to plug in to recharge. You know, after a while, your social battery starts going down. I can relate to that. That's how I am. So, in an environment like that, when you have all these men and and well, I mean, I would say men, but we know it could be anybody in there. Okay, I'm, I'm more typically male, but it could be anybody. So I don't mean to yeah. to act like they're not women or non-binary and all that in there. Okay. Oh, so, totally. No, I was just smiling because I was thinking of the room full of men. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so when and and men tend to be more energetic G vampires, so to speak. Um, do you feel where was where was the balance in that energetically for you to be able to? Uh, what was okay? So as you're performing, or as you're even in the environment, when you have all of these people pulling on your energy, where was the balance in that for you? How did you recharge to get through your work night or through your shift? You know, how did you go back into that every day? What did you feel like that was draining or was the money, you know, was that enough to keep you going? Like, was that the fuel that kept it all running? I would have to say predominantly that was the fuel that kept it running. Um, as far as like, like if I had a long night, like when I would feature the last couple of years, um, I would do the first couple of times I did a day show. So I was there at like noon. And I wanted to do that noon show because it had been, you know, a couple of years since I'd really been on stage. So I'm like, I don't want the first time in two years to go on stage as the feature, <laughs> like shut everything down, you know, <laughs> and have that be like 10 o'clock on a Friday night. I haven't been up there in two years. So, so I would do the noon show and then I realized, oh, you know, I might as well stay for the day shift. So now I'm, because <laughs> I can sign books and I can do lap dances. So I'm like, cool, let's stay there. Well, the night shift starts at nine and the club is open until four. So essentially, I ended up working from 12 to 4. And um, I was fortunate enough to have my own space. So I I mean, maybe this is uh, easy to understand or to re- relate to is I brought a book with me. Um, sometimes I get tired of looking at my damn phone. So I'd go up and read a couple chapters and decompress in that respect. Um, other than that, most dancers don't like when you talk about it and maybe it's different now but at least when I started dancing um three days a week six hour shifts that's full-time stripper so that's a full-time job 
So I'm not sure that the job itself is necessarily cut out to be like, like if you worked 40 hours a stripper as a stripper, I, and I know girls who have, like if I did that, I'd be in a mental ward or dead. Like yeah. I, I personally wouldn't have been able to handle that. And then the other, <laughs> again, I'm from California. Uh, the other thing was weed. I smoked a lot of weed. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Understandable. Yeah. Um, I, I have a, a narcoleptic vampire series where the setting takes place in a fetish club. So have you ever performed in one of those? No, I have not. I actually have plans to visit one very shortly and I'm excited. I've never been to something like that before. So, ah, so you say, <laughs> I'm not going to perform. I'm just going to actually visit. Oh yeah. And is this in Sacramento or, um, like I know there's Reno, a, I believe. What's that? Reno. Reno. Okay. No, about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so a lot of people kind of confuse. I know we've had some guests. It's it's been a couple of years now since we've had some guests that were uh exotic dancers. And I wanna say here, you are specifically saying stripper versus exotic dancer. Do you use those two words, those two um, descriptions interchangeably, or is there a difference? I I do, and I do depending on who I'm talking to, um, and depending on what context I'm in. Sometimes stripper is a little jarring to people. <laughs> so you guys, I figured you're probably cool with it. Yeah. Um, other times people will insist I like exotic, you know, exotic dancer. They feel like it's more respectful. I actually kind of felt the opposite because, um, you know, if I look at the freaking Dallas cheerleaders or ballerinas or literally anybody that does professional dance, like that's not what I did. I got up on stage and I gyrated around and I pretended to touch myself and I took my clothes off. So I really feel like at least for me personally, that stripper just feels more accurate. Now, ironically, <laughs> They, um, they actually don't use that term anymore, at least not at my old club. They they call them performers or entertainers, like right. across the board. In fact, they made an exception for me just because I was, you know, kind of an OG in that respect and because I was a teacher. So I was allowed to use that term. But but it is funny. I, I think that they're, they're trying to shy away from that term, um, maybe to add a little more... Um, humanizing aspect to it to make it not sound as um you know raunchy make it more approachable yeah um yeah so and I, that was going to be a question i was going to ask did you actually like come up with uh choreography or did you you know specifically make it a titillating hey this is this is this is the entertainment what i got to show you here okay so that was it All yeah right. i've seen some chicks that seriously they just didn't even dance yeah. Like I, I had a friend of mine that would get up on stage and she had been in a car accident. So she just wasn't able to move a lot. And so she would, she would just kind of, she'd move really, really slow. She had no regard for the beat or the music or nothing. I kind of needed a little bit of that. Like I like that. I like that performance. I like to be on the beat and all that kind of stuff. But as far as like choreographing, never, I, you know, I had some specific moves that I might do to a certain part of a song, but like I didn't do any pull tricks. I still can't do pull tricks. Um, that's like up on that's like really that. athletic yeah. stuff, man. Yeah, yeah, that is not my jam. I tried uh, when I first started dancing, and I tend to be pretty bottom heavy. <laughs> I mean, now I'm top heavy, but those were aftermarket. 
and <laughs> I couldn't get my ass up off. Like I could, I could lift up, but I couldn't like do it gracefully. So I was like, why am I doing this? And it didn't make me like what well, I was making the same amount of money. So why am I going to, why, yeah. you know, why am I going to do more than I need to? So for me, and a lot of people are disappointed. <laughs> That's when they go to a party and there's like a server full. They're like, do some tricks. I'm like, what am I, a dog? Uh-uh. Like, you what is this, the fucking with. circus? Like, give me a break. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh-huh. and, you, and, and, and I'm going to bring up a cultural difference here too. That is the problem with the black strip clubs. Like, they got to work hard. They, they are do. Down those poles and like, it is a whole... Um, uh, sport like they they have to really be physically in great shape in order to to do all the moves and all that have you seen you can, yeah it's like a high standard shit yeah. have you seen p valley i haven't but i can tell you that it definitely varies market to market so like new orleans totally different than sacramento totally different than you know sacramento is different than seattle it's different than san francisco it's different than vegas yeah, Vegas is kind of the same as Reno, but Reno's like Vegas's shitty little sister, you know. Um, but it absolutely it just it just completely varies uh, from market to market. So I've always wanted to see the clubs in Atlanta because I'm like, you know, oh, you hear all sorts of stuff, and I've never been. And there's no I, like I would walk into that club not thinking that's going to be anything like it is in in Sacramento. Yeah, I don't know that, but that's well, that would be my assumption. I thought it would be way different, just a different spot, you know, different. Like when I started, we all learned from the dancers before us. So, you know, the moves sort of evolved, like the certain things. And so, like, I could go to Reno and I could spot a chick from Sacramento because I could see how she's, you know, she's doing the little sweepy leg thing. I know where that came from because chances are I need the chick that invented it. So it was, you know, that's a lot funny. of times there's, you know, I, I think it's really regional. You know. Mm, okay. All right. I got you. Uh, I am I am curious to know a few things, um, uh, though I, I don't know how much more Daisy uh, has along the stripper line. I'm interested in, in, in when we get to that point, what made you go from writing fiction about this world into nonfiction and writing horror? Like that's I'm interested in seeing how that evolved. Yeah, it started from it started from nonfiction and it started mostly because I was really irritated. Um, by what I was seeing in the media, that I didn't feel like my own voice was being reflected. Um, I felt like a lot of, even myself, my profession, and people that I worked with was really being painted with a broad brush. And what really was the catalyst was there was somebody that I worked with when I was um, when I first started dancing, who got pretty heavy into drugs, did a lot of things. I you know we find out later she's not very proud of and she ended up being part of this like outreach group where they would go to strip clubs and bring little bags and say things like, aren't you loved? Somebody loves you. You know, don't you want to be respected and, and whatever. And it was a, it was a church deal. So they were proselytizing. Um, but they were, what I realized when I went to the website is they were conflating um, strippers and entertainers with um, trafficked um, sex workers. And that's absolutely just ridiculous. I mean, it's an outright lie. You you audition and you give them your driver's license. Like, who auditions to be trafficked? Can you can you meet the wrong person and get sucked into some bad shit out of strip club? Of course, you know. But nobody's throwing a bag over our head and taking us off of the streets and forcing us into the club. 
you know, if you have a bruise on you, you can't work on, you can't get off stage. So like, you know what I'm saying? So it was that dishonesty that actually made me say, you know what, to hell with it. Um, I had been a reader my whole life. Like I said, I was an introvert. I was really kind of bullied when I was a kid. So reading was like my sanctuary and horror was my first love. I started with, you know, kind of the baby stuff. And then like, I found Stephen King at um, 11 and that was the end of it for me. I was like, this is my, this is my escape. This is my joy. So for me, it felt natural, maybe not to necessarily write like horror right off the bat. Cause I thought how the, I, I actually thought I would never do that. I thought, you know what, to hell with this. I've read enough. I'm going to at least tell my story, put it out there, whatever. And um, after that, I wrote another small book, um, basically about different aspects of the club. And then I wrote, like I said, the skeptic book, um, which talks a lot about like humanism and critical thinking um, and that kind of stuff. And then I wrote a dirty book. And then a friend of mine, um, we ended up co-authoring a crime novel together, Stripper Noir. He had had me write a few like short stories and submit them. And, you know, you get all excited when you have a story submitted, you know, accepted. It's like, oh my God, you like me, you know? And uh, so we wrote this novel. I wrote, um, he wrote the part of the detectives. I wrote the part of a stripper serial killer. <laughs> um, and after that, I, you know, I was like, this is my jam. I will probably still contribute and write some articles and things like that. I don't have any more nonfiction in the works because um, I'm really kind of in love with writing like dark humor and horror. It was really where my love of reading and books came from. And so it really feels like I'm kind of getting back to my roots where it's an outlet now, but almost in a different way. So That's awesome. I know I said that backwards, but yeah, that's awesome. It's all good. Sorry, Dicey, I didn't mean to interrupt you. If you had another question, it was just so fascinating to me. I was like, I really wonder what made her do that. But it makes sense. You're a reader. Spite. I started writing out of spite. Yeah, I'm too excited about the stripper part. <laughs> um, yeah, and and I I know exactly what you're saying. We even had uh, a few episodes where we talked about that, how they were conflating trafficking with um, people's right to be a uh, a consensual sex worker, and and so and then they were you know the, these religious groups were coming out like they were fighting for women's rights, and and that's not what that was by trying to stop no, because her. they're ignoring there there's i'm sorry for interrupting but this no, no, no. just it, it just incenses me because that really causes a lot of harm and yeah. that's exactly what they do is they basically use us because we're more visible we're easier right. to see so like no shit i would be in a club and across the street was a known massage parlor yeah. so if you're really truly going after traffic women that is yeah. your goal what the hell are you doing in a club when you know that every single one of those women have had has their social security card and their driver's yeah. license on file? They've all signed a contract. Most of the time, you have, not always. But sometimes you, most of the time, you have to audition. Even you have to audition. You have to try to get that dream job. Yeah. You know, not to mention I had to really cut back on my cheeseburgers. I'm in a donut six months. So, but across the street, you know, across the street, there are are highly likely women that are really probably hurting in pain and, and possibly, you know, trafficked women. So if their true idea is harm, 
then they're, they, they're barking up the wrong tree. And in my particular case, what part of what made me so angry is I knew that she knew that that was a lie. And on that particular website, they had choice in quotes or yeah. choose like women, like nobody chooses to do this. And I said, that's, you know, absolutely. That's ridiculous. I mean, because you could be in a marriage situ situation and, um, and you, you're the cook, the housekeeper, you, you, all these, and you still got to work a full-time job out here for the, or you can be completely self-sufficient and choose to make a lot of money having, um, doing things, owning your own body and presenting it in the way you want. That's having agency over your own body. I mean, it, you know, it's, it, it would make perfect sense if you actually think about it. So, cool. and that I remember also ended up undercutting a lot of people's livelihoods, a lot of legitimate sex workers who were earning their money these ways were having it cut. And so out came OnlyFans. OnlyFans started taking off after that too, because that was a way for them to start making more money. Did you ever have an OnlyFans? I did not. And that's because I have a teenage son. So I actually very much promised oh, that I okay. would not do uh, so it's easier to stay in, you know, in the, in the thing. And, and honestly, yeah, I, I mean, I definitely considered it, but, but you're, you're absolutely right. They target a lot of times these, these organizations, their goals are um, to actually just get rid of sex, sexual entertainment, sex work altogether. Their, their, their main motivation is not to actually rescue and help people. Um, their goal is to eliminate porn, to eliminate consensual sex work, and to help break down that um, feminine body autonomy, which yeah. happens to be a pretty big issue right at the moment. So yeah. um, it just ends up, you know, it, but it's easy. It's more, it's more visible. You know, they're not, they're not going after the, the people that are actually trafficked. And on yeah. top of that, when they talk about sex trafficking, and they talk about human trafficking. They'll often conflate the two. You'll hear sex trafficking, human trafficking. Um, the largest set of human trafficking is actually labor trafficking. Mm -hmm. If you're really concerned about people being trafficked, mm -hmm. then your largest group is um, is labor, and that includes children, that includes kids, teenagers that are you know that are snuck in and that are used for cheap labor. Um, yeah. So people are, you know, scream and yell about sex trafficking while ignoring what the actual problem is because it's a tool, it's a vehicle, um, it's motivated um, by something else and it's certainly not helping people. Right. And, and you have, it's taking the power away from women who are empowered by deciding what they want to do, how they want to make their money. I, I mean, there's a market for it. <laughs> if well, Netflix, they had that Pornhub show and they did show that, that there was an organization that was quote unquote, trying to help get all these things off Pornhub, but they did say our goal is to get rid of all sexual work. Mm. And, no, and I know they were in the cry. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. And then, at the, and then there was a point where they were showing legitimate sex workers going where we can't even make money the way we were because of these organizations. No, there was Exodus Cry actually was able to, um, they got an article out in the New Yorker um, where they interviewed sex workers. 
the second that article came out, it blew up on Twitter because the women that they that they had interviewed said, that's not what I said. You twisted my words. You changed every single thing I said around. Mm. You basically lied. You changed everything to fit your narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a series of interviews with people that I worked with. Um, one girl that I worked with did end up trafficked um through like porn and it's actually it was one of the most horrific stories i've heard it was horrible um Mm -hmm. i I knew her um but not one of the people that i interviewed and um you know most of the people that i knew and worked closely with you know everybody acknowledges that there are problems and that it is very easy to sneak in bad actors very easy for you know predators to in, infiltrate this whole thing. And part of that is because of the stigma. You know, it's real easy to get abused and treated like shit mm-hmm. um, and then not say anything because you know that people are already looking down on you as less than, right? So you're a marginalized group in that respect. Yeah. So it makes it hard to report when that kind of abuse happens. So that makes it very easy for that abuse to happen. So mm-hmm. on that note, if Exodus Cry really gave a shit, they would be trying to make it safer and destigmatize it. Right. Then eliminate it altogether. Because what happens when you eliminate it altogether? Well, now you make everybody criminal. Yeah. So, and then when we criminalize something that most people do, well, when the law starts going after people, who do they go after? Who do they target? Because it's not me. You know, they they go after the more marginalized. They go after the easy pickings, um, and that's what they do. But Exodus Cry is a is a fundamentalist religious organization. Uh, they're absolutely anti-porn. They want nobody to have porn. They want nobody to have access to porn, sex work, sexual entertainment, none of that stuff. They basically not only want to control what women do with their bodies, but what you and I and everybody else watch and enjoy as consensual adult sexual entertainment. Um, that's not a humanitarian uh, effort. That is not a group that has people's best interests in mind. Um, there, if, if you guys are more interested in this and actually I have, I have a ton of resources, so I'm sort of like, I affiliated with a lot of people that have more, um, information that I do. There's an organization called old pros, mm. um, and they are basically working to decriminalize, um, sex workers and to humanize and destigmatize the women and the men that work, um, in the industry as also the consumers, you know, mm-hmm. because not all guys are that watch porn or go into strip clubs are filthy, dirty perverts. I, I would say right. 90% of them aren't. They're That's not. Right. You know, this is mm-hmm. a natural human urge that we all want and we all need. We all want that connection. That sex part of it is, is built into who we are and how we keep going on as a species. It's a natural thing. Yes. Um, but the way that those organizations are trying to actually shut it down uh, is a detriment to the people they say they're trying to help. And then to boot, they get donations. I know Hookers for Jesus actually got federal money, um, which is uh, it's unconstitutional. Actually, I had that lady block me on Twitter. I don't kind of, I'm not the person that brags about getting blocked and like I don't start shit on purpose. <laughs> wow, did she ever poke the bear, man? <laughs> so anyway, she I fucked her, her but, that, yeah. yeah, she mm-hmm. did. So, so on the on, on the lines of what you were writing, I know, uh, Chantel, I'm sorry, I've, I've gotten all into the stripper stuff, but in terms of when you are promoting and talking about your work online or reading your excerpts or whatever, are you getting flagged 
because uh, like Instagram and Facebook, they're really uh, uh, they're really bad about um, you can't say this, can't say, say this, you know, just like what we watch, like the the gore and the violence is okay, but dare say anything about anything sexual and it's a whole ordeal. Like, are you having any issues with social media or anything like that? Getting your message out. I've gotten better at not um, getting in trouble. But yeah, I've gotten in quite a bit of trouble <laughs> that way where I, I have to either tweak when I'm working or, you know, I can't even tell you how many times I've tried to convince Facebook that I'm I'm not a hooker. And, and I, I just say that. And it's like, you know, of all the really nasty stuff that I see on here, like the really harmful, hateful. Um, I mean, I've seen some vile things on the Internet. Yeah. Um, that are allowed and that's okay uh misinformation you know people being scammed yeah um just really hate just tons of conspiracies just tons of like just well, vile vile stuff and i and i just want to be what i tell them is i'm selling books i'm selling yeah. books what kind of a message are you really sending when you're allowing this kind of just extreme vile content that has really hurt actively hurt a lot of people and in some instances killed them with like medical information or misinformation um mm -hmm. and i can't i can't promote a book about strippers yeah this how this is how you choose to, to, to monitor and your content and spend your time and your efforts is me so yeah. yes i've well, definitely run into that. the other day on the news i saw this story maybe you ladies heard this Kat Von D has renounced being a, a witch and I, is getting her body covered, blacked out, and all her old tattoos, was baptized and shown this on the news. Chantel, I sent that video to you. Well, I saw it on the actual um, TV news as well. Uh, oh, that is so, it, it, how can they sit there and promote that? Because it's, of course, the Christian agenda. And it's hilarious to me. It's like, it's still a form of hate to sit there and go, I am going to renounce all paganism. Like it's evil. Like it's bad because that is a Christian perspective. That is not necessarily the truth. And so, well, and I that is a lot of Christianity's <laughs> rituals. All of their holidays are exactly. They're all based um, from pagan holidays. No. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, no, it's silly. Why did they push that? I don't know. It's the same reason why. You That's know, what like, I'm saying. I have, but yeah, it's why they let them in uh, the club. Yeah. Is because well, they're Christians. They must be doing good. And they're not doing good. No, they're they're I think they're actively harming people. Personally, have you guys seen that meme on? Uh, it's been all over where the the guy comes back from the future to himself. He's like, oh my god. Or he goes to the future. He's like, oh my god. We just had um. Uh, what do you call it when everybody goes up to heaven? I'm writing about it. I can't remember. Oh, the rapture. The rapture is happening. Rapture. And I'm, I came to the future to see if everything's okay. And he's like, oh yeah, everything's wonderful. He's like, ever since then, the Christians are all gone and the hate's gone and everybody's getting along real well. <laughs> it was so funny. Mm. Yeah. I, 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 I might've seen that or something like that. Yeah. So what's your, I'm sorry, yeah. No, it's fine. Uh, I've been talking so much. Go ahead. No, 
I want you to say, you're going to, what's your next project? I know that's what you're going to say. Well, I was going to ask her, what is her process? I know she mentioned like this nonfiction came about from what she, she was, she got pissed off because she was like, this is misinformation and I need to set the story straight from my perspective of how, of having lived this. So I'm curious, you know, how was your process when you're writing your horror? Like what, what do you go through in, in to get that from here, you know? to on paper it's such a different thing it is yeah. such a different animal because when you're writing nonfiction, you're writing the truth uh-huh. you know and a lot of my nonfiction, all of my nonfiction, starts with a story basically so especially like an expose yourself when i'm going through different um uh when i'm talking about different things like cognitive dissonance or um you know whatever i start with a story i start with an anecdote and i kind of you know i sort of like lead you into the actual concept and the point that I'm trying to make. Um, and so when it came to fiction, it was kind of like, and I was very intimidated because I love horror, crime, dark humor. Like I love that stuff. And I was very, very afraid that I wasn't going to be able to actually write it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that's why when I wrote Stripper Noir with Armand, it was such, it was so helpful because it was, it was almost like he was holding my hand that way. He was very much teaching me how to do that. Cause like a short story is one thing you start with a concept, you go from here, you go for there. It's, it's short, it's easy. But when you're actually working on like a full length novel, you know, you got a lot of space to fill. How do you come up with that? Yeah. You know, I, I only recently learned that you can be either a pantser or a plotter. And I'm like, oh. I'm definitely not a plotter <laughs> when it comes to nonfiction, maybe, but not like fiction. So he wrote the first chapter and sent it to me and I wrote the next chapter from my character's point of view and so we kind of went on um that path so my process sort of stayed the same that way is where I sort of start with like one chunk of the story so like I start with one chapter I go back I read the chapter and I'm like okay this is where I'm going granted I have a general overall idea of what the whole thing is going to be like but when it comes to the actual process it's very like I don't uh it's very pantser. It's sort of like, what is, what's going on at the moment? How, you know, if I'm stepping into my character's shoes, what is, what is happening? What are they feeling? What are they thinking? What is, you know, as, and then taking a step back and looking and saying as a reader, what would I enjoy? You know, what would be really cool if happened? What would elicit the emotion that I'm looking for? So yeah, it's kind of, um, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I don't have a problem. Hmm. I mean, not having a process is a process in itself. Yeah. Well, yeah. then, yay. <laughs> That's definitely a big answer. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm just checking to make sure that I have battery on my phone because I'm I'm on my oh. phone out of my laptop. I get real nervous about you know the technology. I don't want to lose anything. Well, if anybody has fetish to see, like, giant fingers coming at you, you better watch this episode. (laughs) I'm sure they're out there. They're definitely out there. Do you watch that show, The Boys? I haven't. I have not. I've heard of it, but I haven't watched it. It's so great. It's always something crazy. They just had an offshoot. What was it called? The, The college one? I didn't watch it. Uh, I can't remember what it was called, but it's also on Prime. I know I'm so terrible with names, like I'm the worst. But this one chick could shrink herself, and she had a guy. Of course, it's like I want you to shrink yourself and hang on my penis, you know, so he could feel like his dick so big. 
<laughs> so your big, our big fingers might do something for someone. I don't know what. <laughs> like I said, I promise it is somewhere. <laughs> okay, I got another question for you. So in Dave Chappelle's um, comedy, especially this last one, I can't remember the name of it, but the last one, he said that he goes to strip clubs a lot and he goes by himself. Like, why would he go with a bunch of guys so they could all sit around hard and then go home, you know? So it, it makes sense that he would go by himself. But it makes me think, you know, were there any celebrities that you had a chance to dance for, perform for? And did you write that in your memoir? Um, I got turned down by Donald Trump's nephew in Reno. <laughs> um, we used to get quite a few bands that would come through uh, Sacramento, especially when OzFest was a thing. Um, mm. But like, I never got the cool guys. Like I danced for the keyboardist of Smash Mouth and I scored him a bag of weed and he still owes me 20 bucks. <laughs> um, Rude. <laughs> but like that, that's probably yeah, that's probably like I danced for um, the Deftones bus driver. Okay. So like that's the extent of my. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I one of the one of the um, I think I'm gonna say it was somebody from like Instinct or something like that came into a club in Vegas, but um, he was so swarmed that it was like even if I wanted to get to that dude, like I wasn't gonna get to him. But the other thing that I noticed pretty quickly is that. Um, Celebrities, because they drew all the girls, um, a lot of times they didn't actually spend the kind of money that you might think they would, but the okay. girls would think they were gonna. But celebrities get a lot of stuff like comps, right? Mm. So, like, a lot of times they're not spending a lot of their own, unless they're, like, throwing it on stage, they're not getting, like, tons of lap dances and buying rooms and doing all that stuff, maybe yeah. a little bit. But what I found that it was more lucrative to kind of, use them more as bait. So, you know, let those, you know, 10, 15 of my top competitions storm the instinct dude, you know, for a dollar or two and I'll go hit the rest of the club. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Make my rent. Because while he's getting all the tension, the other men feel left out. So you go make your money over there. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Smart. Yes. So now where do you go to uh, peddle your books, ma'am? Do you sell at, at any of the local bookstores or do you do book events? What do you do? Book tours or anything? You know, I really want to, but what's funny is that because like my first, I guess, like official book finding um, was at the strip club, like that was it. Like I did like a strip, like that was where I was selling books. Yeah. Um, it's funny because a lot of times that because most of the features are, are porn stars, right? I was kind of an anomaly. I was I don't know if any other authors other than Stormy Daniels that scrolled through the, the club as a feature. Yeah. And they usually toss out like DVDs. <laughs> and I really wanted to throw books into the crowd, but I was uh, <laughs> uh, but I did sell uh, yeah, I I sold books that way. Um and so now I would like to get into more traditional type books. Uh, book selling, uh, book signings, and and doing that kind you of. You guys stuff. have um, lots of great horror conventions there in California. You should look them up. Horror conventions are where it's yeah, at. We we found our our footing in those places. Yeah, I definitely need to do that. A lot of um, like stripper noir is it's it's crime, but there's definitely like if you're looking for violence and gore out of me, um, that's where it's going to come from. Or um, the zombie novella I have in the Dead Shall Rise. Um, that's definitely gory. Um, 
but like South of Heaven is a lot of dark humor. Um, there's not a lot of like gore and violence there, and it kind of it takes place in like heaven. So, you know, there's there's it's speculative fiction, but it's a lot of like dark humor. Um, you know, you could probably tell I'm not like pro religion, so it's definitely a little. Um, it's a lot blasphemous. Well, you will you will see at at a convention like that. Every crazy, gory person has a normal person in their life. <laughs> that isn't, they're like, I'm just here to support. So you'd be surprised. You, you would probably sell all those things. Dicey has been yeah. killing it at the events, and she has a lot of erotica romance. But it's dark. And then she has yeah. a vampire series. So I feel like you're doing both equally, right? Yeah, it sounds like that. Yeah. Are you talking about me? Yeah, and- yeah you. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, you should totally check it out. I found it hard to kind of stick into a a genre. Like, I never really, I never thought of when I started writing fiction, like, what genre, like, am I trying to fit this into a box? It was sort of like, okay, well, this is the idea in my head. My newest book, Colleen, is about a succubus, a bisexual succubus. So there's a sexual element there, but I don't really focus on that. I kind of let the reader, you know, use their imagination. Um, And there's a lot of, like, death in there, but she, she doesn't, my succubus character doesn't really realize what she is and she doesn't realize what she's doing. So she kills people kind of on accident. And so then it's funny because it's an accident. She doesn't know. So there's a lot of like, you know, there's a lot of humor. Yeah. 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 I love it. But yeah, no, I, um, I was wondering like how, how closed off like the actual genres are. Cause I just didn't, it's not something I really thought about when I'm when I'm writing. I want to write a good story. I don't really care what box it fits into. I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I the cross same. I cross genres all the time for the same reason. Like, I might be in a dark mood, but it's I'm still in a sexy mind mind too. You know, I lo- and I love romance. I do. So I just make the romance dark. So it's just kind of I don't want to be pigeonholed into particular genres. So when I list them off, I'm like, erotic, sci-fi, fantasy, horror. That's what I've narrowed it down to so I can spit it out uh, fast. But like, I, I don't want to be in one particular thing. So um, I can be a horror author, but I could also be romance. So when I go to the horror side, then um, I'm only kind of half there. But then I'm also over here. I don't know. It's um, what, you know, I think that's just my personality anyway. That's just me. Like, I don't really fit. You're, you, yourself, and you? Huh? You, yourself, and you? All three of you? Yeah, yeah, yeah me, myself, and I. Exactly. <laughs> um, do you have aspirations to create movies or anything, being there in the land of the movie? Oh, oh well, I'm in Sacramento, so, I mean, we have, like, agri- agriculture up here. The movies are all down south. Um, no, I, you know, I'm not really. I don't know, although sometimes... Um, especially like as I go to like review audiobooks or I go back through my books and I look at like some of the dialogue scenes and I realize that a lot of my stories kind of tend to be like dialogue driven and the way the characters are and I do I do wonder what that would be like to see um, some of that stuff on screen but then you know I don't know um, so no I don't think I have any aspirations to do movies I mean certainly you know if the offer's out there I'm cheap and easy so no. <laughs> Anybody listen? Hit me up. <laughs> nice. Aaron, 
been so much fun. I've really enjoyed this discussion. A lot of the different concepts that we went into, and then I got my stripper questions answered too. So that's fun. It's always fun. Um, can you tell everyone where they can find you on social media and where they can find your books? Do you, you have them online? I do. I okay. do. Um, my books by um, Hellbound, which is Stripper Noir, uh, Colleen, South of Heaven. Um, you can find them at um, their website, hellboundbookspublishing.com. Um, all of my books, including my nonfiction, uh, can be found at AaronLewis.com. Um, I'm on Instagram at uh, AaronLewis666. Um, Facebook, the same. And Twitter. And uh, TikTok under Extreme Duress. I love it. Thank you so much. This has been amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm sorry? I said it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh, and awesome. I have a new book out. Uh, my new my newest book is Colleen, which is my bisexual succubus. Um, uh, like I said, she kind of, she develops her, she's got a friend and she sort of, you know, she kills people on accident. She also has a taste uh, for conspiracy theories. So I slipped in some critical thinking in there. Like I said, I'm the, the uh, pain in the ass skeptic in the room. So I'm always, I'm always trying to poke you. Um, uh, I am. Which could really be taken. Thing. That could be taken strangely on this show. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. That's why I was excited to do this show. I had a feeling that's exactly what was going to happen. Um, I'm currently working on uh, a sequel to South of Heaven uh, called Hell Awaits. So for my uh, heavy metal fans, yes, those are Slayer references. Nice. Nice. So how far is Sacramento from Los Angeles? I think it's like a six-hour drive, like five, six hours. If you go about 90 miles an hour, you can do it in six hours. Don't ask me how I know that. Um, uh, it's about it's about seven to eight hours. Uh, of course, you know what? I've been in Orange County. So the last few times I've driven there, it hasn't actually been L.A. proper. It's been Orange County. Okay. So not yeah, really. California is a big state. Yeah. Okay. So not really close. I, uh, I'm trying to figure out what to do with my kids for spring break. And my daughter threw out Hollywood. She wants to go to Hollywood. And since that's also on my checkoff list, I was like, hmm, I'm just thinking, you know. You know, Universal Studios was cool. Um, I took my kid a few years ago, well, a lot of years ago, to see the, um, you know, the Walk of Fame with all the stars and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, that, depending on the age of your kids, if they're a little older, because you're going to see some stuff that might not be age appropriate on <laughs> Hollywood Boulevard. Yeah, you're um, pretty close to Skid Row in that area. Yeah, they're teens. Yeah, and and just there's a lot of yeah, like I said, there's a lot of not kid friendly stuff right there. Uh, um, and then you have your regular touristy stuff. You know, if you're looking for the Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum, you're gonna find it. Or the Wax Museum, there that's right there. The Magic Castle. Yeah, yeah. So um, there's, I mean, there's lots of stuff to do in Southern California. It really looks, you know, obviously there's Disneyland, which I don't know. You can also tour some of the movie lot. studios. Yeah. Yeah. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm still thinking about it. But thank you so much. Where, where are you guys from? We're in Texas. We're in Houston. Oh, you're in Texas. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. Cool. Pantera. This is this is like we had we just had like this intimate hour with you, and we don't even really know each other's names. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like oh wait. I'm trying to be jammed. 
That's kind of what I got paid for, you know. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Chantel, what's that over by your head? It's something red back there. I've been staring at it the whole time. This? This yeah. is my, my little lamp. Oh, it's a lamp. Okay. Yeah. It's just got like a red, it's got a glow on it too. But I see Yeah, it. it has a light in there. Okay. Oh, okay. I've just been looking at it like, and that's how it, Plus, I'm being all mysterious Ooh, with yeah. my little cat ears. <laughs> and Erin's all professional over there. I don't know. She's making <laughs> us look bad. <laughs> I don't know about all that. I, you know what? I had somebody comment um, that it looked like I was filming in Grandma's house. <laughs> I, have, which, which I do. I, a lot of the stuff came from my, like a lot of my things did come from either my mom or my grandma or the thrift store or whatever. And like, I just never, like, I, I like that. So, you know, my whole, my, the front part of my house is like grandma's <laughs> trust My favorite me. picture in the whole world is that picture of those old ass shoes. I don't know why I just had that hung in my house forever. And I'm like, you dick. I really like that picture. Yes, it probably came from the thrift store. My mom bought it in the eighties or some shit. I don't care. It's going to hang on my wall. Tell me I was grandma's house. It's fine. <laughs> There you go. All right. Well, until next time. Bye, everyone. Nope.